Who says tech can't be human? I like to learn from other people's failures. I don't want to take the same growth process as the next person who failed and didn't do well or whatever. It's really for on the business side as well. This is mostly about like efficiency, building a strong team, just growing from there. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. We get it. Another vendor running another podcast ad, trying to get you to check out their product. Instead of explaining to you what our amazing sponsor Axonius does, we've brought in an Axonius customer to fill you in. Take it from Jason Loomis, Chief Information Security Officer at MindBody. The sheer excitement of my team to have visibility into what's in our environment and have it all in one location is just, I, I can't express how important that is for us. Want to learn more about how MindBody enhanced their asset visibility and increased their cybersecurity maturity rating with Exonius? Watch the video at exonius.com forward slash MindBody. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com forward slash MindBody. What's going on, everybody? You're in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Chris, there's only one thing we get into these little tizzies about, and that is automation. So what I decided to do today was bring in someone that is just as passionate about automation as I am. And our guest this episode is Alton Johnson. Alton is the founder of Vona High Security and never really thought that he would embark on the entrepreneurship journey. I'm excited to cover automation and also learn more about you, Alton. But most importantly, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. We talk about automation all the time on this show. And I do think automation plays a huge role in cybersecurity. Ron thinks it can be the end-all be-all, but that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> we got to talk about this, you automating yourself out of a job. How did that even happen? Yeah, yeah. So as a penetration tester for the last 10 years, for me, I'm a very impatient person. And I view like the world in this very simple like lens. I like to look at things and be like, why is this complicated? And as a penetration tester, there's a lot of complicated things that I was doing that I was forced to do as a pen tester. So reporting, things like that. And a lot of those things were just super inefficient. I couldn't understand why as a person who was being hired to hack a company, I had to sit back and write reports in a Word document and run macros and, and stuff like that. It just seemed like a huge problem. And no pen tester likes to write reports. We all just want to hack and have fun. I hope that the documentation write itself. <laughs> that was really my goal because a lot of stuff that happens in a penetration test are things that could be repeated over and over and over. There's a lot of things, of course, that change along the way, but those things could be automated as well. So that's pretty much what drove me to start the Final High was really just a lot of frustration dealing with a lot of inefficient processes and stuff that just didn't really have to be complicated. It was just complicated for no reason. <laughs> you know what I find interesting about the automation topic is I believe it's directly tied into entry-level positions turning into mid-level or senior-level. We were just looking at a tweet by Meg West recently, and she said, no one talks about how once entry-level cybersecurity personnel are hired, they rapidly grow, they outgrow their skills, they outgrow the position, but their pay stays the same. And I would imagine that automation is the equalizer. It's the thing that helps you go from 
doing those reports manually over and over and over again to having that opportunity to learn new skills. Would you say that using automation, how in what situation have you seen automation change yourself from going to a more senior team member or change someone at your company? So for, as a penetration tester, you typically have a limited amount of time to do an assessment. And so you're basically as good as the value that you provide with that penetration test report. And so if you're doing every single thing manually, then you have even more limited amount of time to accomplish the goal, right? Because now you're focused on doing a lot of this stuff manually. So automation obviously plays a huge part in growing in the career too, because the more you could do, the more value you can provide and the faster you can provide that value, it makes you a better pen tester. So you're making less mistakes. You're spending a less time doing things that should take a lot less time. So you're basically using your time a lot a lot more wisely. But yeah, it definitely plays a huge part as a penetration tester and growing in the industry as well. Where did all of this come from? Were you interested as a kid when it came to puzzles? Like, has that always been how your mind works? But where did all of this really start for you? Yeah, so it's very interesting. So when I was 11 years old, back in AOL days, AOL, AIM, (laughs) we were all chatting online. I used to just hang out in the chat rooms. There's a point in time where somebody actually hacked me. They sent me a file. I opened it up and they had access to my computer. They started doing all of these weird things with the computer, changing the desktop, locking the mouse keys, the numlock, scroll lock, caps lock, just playing with, with the lights and stuff like that, printing stuff out on a printer. And I was like, obviously freaking out at the time. But it's kind of interesting because the person that did it to me, they were messaging me on AOL and they were telling me, hey, I got access to your computer. And so it all started making sense. Like this person obviously has access to my computer. They're the one that's doing all of these different crazy things. Now, the cool thing, though, is that this person, for whatever reason, and I'm glad they did, but for whatever reason in the world, they told me, they showed me how they did it. Linked me to a tool at the time called ProRat. I actually Sub7. ProRat is similar to Sub7. And I just started using it on everybody else's computer. My whole goal at the time was really, how many computers could I get access to? I didn't even care about flipping the screen and stuff like that. I just wanted to know that I had access to a computer. Like That, for me, was the end goal. I don't care anything else beyond that. And so... I didn't realize you could actually get paid to do that until I got much older. So as I started getting older and heard about penetration testing and you, know, you can get paid to be an ethical hacker, that was just mind-blowing to me. You mean I could I can get paid to do this, like hack? <laughs> so for me at that time, that's when I really started kind of putting together courses and trying to figure out like what is the best way for me to get into the cybersecurity space, reading courses, reading a lot of books, just basically talking to a lot of people, trying to figure out what do they know that I could learn from and stuff like that. But yeah, it all started from the time when I was a kid and getting hacked. And thankfully, that person told me and showed me how they did it. And that really paid off. (laughs) I am shocked. And I'm shocked because you might be my doppelganger. (laughs) That is the exact story of how I got into cybersecurity. And it's funny because we were just live on LinkedIn earlier today talking about this exact story. I was in a chat room. I was around 13 or 14 and talking crap to the wrong person. They sent me a file using direct message and same tool, ProRat. They sent it to me. They told me how they did it. (laughs) And I did what any responsible teenager would do. I sent it to all my friends. Did you do the same things? Were you also experimenting (laughs) with other people that you knew? I did the same thing. And I was also using like ICQ for reverse shell, reverse notifications and stuff like that. And yeah, I just went crazy with it. I just had to get access to as many computers as I could. That was just (laughs) extremely exciting. Love it. It's a small world. Maybe I got sent the file and then I sent it to you (laughs) because I don't remember what happened all that time ago, but it's really changed my life. And it sounds like it's really changed yours too. But for me, I would say the difference is 
And I don't think we look that close alike either. But I think the difference is you stayed on the journey of being an offensive engineer, someone that really understands the attack, how to dissect it, how to automate it. What made you more fascinated in that side of the house versus the blue team defensive side of the house? Yeah. So I think for me, just being able to get access to computers and networks and stuff like that, it's always been super exciting. And I was working at a federal credit union once before, and we had a security company come in to do an assessment. And that was like, for me, the face-to-face to another person who was doing what I thought was pretty cool. And so that just really stuck with me. I really wanted to get into, I could go around to different companies and assess their networks, basically go to the company, tell them all the things that are wrong, and then walk away. (laughs) That part of it was exciting. And also being able to travel and stuff like that. I had some other friends. I started meeting people who were in the blue team area and it just, they just didn't really seem as happy just because it was just a lot different as far as like job responsibilities and stuff like that. But as a person on the offensive side, you basically get to rip the hole in the network and just walk away and just give all the recommendations, be there for advice and stuff like that. But you're not involved in why it broke and why this vulnerability exists. And I told you last month it was supposed to be patched. Like you don't even have to care about any of that. You just basically say, I exploited this computer because it's missing a patch and that's it. I don't care why, but it's missing the patch. <laughs> so you love it because you get to party like a rock star and then walk away <laughs> and leave everyone else to clean up the mess. Got it. No, I was just kidding. But no, that's a good point because there's different paradigms within cybersecurity that people need to really be specialized in. There are folks that are really focused on the offensive side, folks that are really focused on the defensive side, and then there are folks that are in the middle trying to pull all those pieces together. What do you think is missing from that connection piece? Because you can tear a hole, you can find all the bugs, you can find all the issues, and then it's up to the blue team to pull things together. But a lot of times in cybersecurity, we're trying to prioritize where we devote our efforts, our time, our resources, our money. And it can be difficult to really figure out which priority we're going to go through. So is there anything from the red side, the offensive side of cybersecurity that would make it easier for the blue side to determine what to fix first and then what to fix after that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, obviously a little bit biased because of the pen testing stuff, but basically a penetration test, the red teamers, the offensive security we're essentially fine. We're basically simulating exactly what an attacker would do. So the things that we're able to come up with as far as our reports to say, hey, this is how we got access to XYZ. I think that really shows the impact and definitely increases the priority of remediating those things. Because as a person on the blue team side, right, you've got a lot of different things going on. You've got vulnerability management, you've got patches and stuff like that. There's so many different things going on. But on the pen testing side, the red team side, you're basically the stuff that we present are the things that would truly happen. Like it could really happen tomorrow. Like it's so real, you know what I mean? Because there's the proof, there's the impact, there's the evidence. And so the priority, in my opinion, would definitely be on that versus some of the other things that are going on because we're basically saying, hey, I hacked your network and this is how I did it. And so if I did it, this could easily be accomplished by a malicious person who isn't going to tell you how to fix the problem. So yeah, I definitely think on the red team side, the pen testing stuff is really, it should really help with the priority. For more than two decades, NetSpy has helped companies discover and remediate critical security issues through its platform-driven, human-delivered security testing. NetSpy is much more than a pen testing company bringing you the most comprehensive suite of offensive security solutions. Visit netspy.com forward slash HBM to learn more. That's netspi.com forward slash HBM. Thank you, NetSpy, for sponsoring this episode. 
So let's uh, talk about that a bit deeper. When you are going through and maybe working with clients today, organizations today, I feel like a lot of organizations are somewhat misguided or skipping step one, and that's understanding their priorities, understanding understanding their requirements and what's really needed to be done first. What is your philosophy, your mindset for making sure that you're not just jumping the gun and trying to show the results, but you're actually showing the results that matter? Yeah, I think you mean just as far as like a pen test report, for example, like interpreting that, is that? Or even the information that you would provide in a pen test report. Because I'm sure that some pen testers will provide just a template, but then others will go deeper with the customer to give Mm -hmm. them really the fields, the data that matters most. Yeah, the severity ratings in a penetration test report are definitely a lot different than you would see from a vulnerability scanner. So I think the priority from just the the standard pen test results would definitely hit home a little bit. But then also, too, when it comes to the narrative. So, for example, we do this and I've worked for another company that did it. I don't know if it's super common, but one of the things that we do to help bring that point home is to essentially show the reader how we did everything we did from point A. So when you look at the narrative, it basically says, hey, I started off with host discovery. I found X amount of systems that are active on the network. I started doing port scanning, found X amount of ports. Based on those open ports, I was able to find XYZ information from these services that are running. Based on that information, I was able to discover X amount of vulnerabilities. And then based on those vulnerabilities, I was able to exploit this one. And then that one led to getting access to computer. And so we paint the entire picture of how we were able to start from point A and get all the way to point Z and show the sensitive data. It really helps organizations understand the mindset. Obviously, they're on the other side, so they may look at the narrative and identify areas that they we shouldn't have been able to do just because they're aware of their firewalls, their security controls, and things that may or may not be working depending on how far we're able to get. So I think in our case, like the narrative has been extremely valuable as part of our assessment reports. That's speaking our language because we're all about communication. We're all about storytelling. And what you're talking about is if you're doing like a red team engagement and you're saying, hey, this is how we got in. This is where we pivoted. This is what we exploited in order to get access to this specific type of data. That's a story. What are some of your tenants with conveying that story? Because I'm sure you speak to everything from the C-suite all the way down to the security engineer. How do you convey that story in different ways This so that message is received? Yeah, so we have an executive summary. We keep that pretty high level. And the executive summary kind of demonstrates that impact through severity ratings. And we also have some descriptions and stuff like that to kind of summarize the things that we're able to find. If we're able to accomplish a significant amount of assets, a lot of assets to data, systems, whatever, that criticality in the executive summary is going to pinpoint that. And there's also just a high level overview of the results. So it's not diving too technical, getting too technical. So we have the executive summary to separate that for the executive level. And then we also have the technical report. And that's the one that dives all the way into the narrative, the evidence, the attack chain. So that's pretty much how we separate the two conversations, right? Like here's what we did at a high level to anyone that doesn't really care about the technical stuff, but only cares about how it impacts the business. And then to the person that has to fix the issues, here's everything that they would need to know to further improve that environment. I like it. I mean, you make it sound very straightforward, (laughs) pretty easy. What are the challenges, though, outside of creating the story? What are the roadblocks of people interpreting that story the way that maybe they should or based off of the data that's presented to them? One of the biggest things, obviously, for us, I think we've been able to solve as far as the challenge is really just that 
like that priority, that impact, because a lot of companies are doing vulnerability assessments all the time. They see all of these vulnerabilities. Doesn't really mean much. They see it every month. Nothing bad has happened so far. So what's the point of caring? Sometimes not every organization feels that way, but vulnerability assessments could be, there's just a lot of vulnerabilities that get produced on a lot of those assessments. And so it's very hard to really figure out which of the 2000 vulnerabilities should I, I should address first. But on, when it comes to what we do from the pen test side, we're basically showing the impact. So a lot of that confusion around where should I start? What's the first thing I should remediate? It's we've eliminated a lot of that because when we say we exploited this system and that led us all the way into getting sensitive data, it is very clear. There's no going back and forward and arguing about severity ratings. This person thinks it should be a high versus a critical versus a medium. We were making it so simple to say, hey, we exploited this system. And that's what led into getting access to everything else. So I think we've eliminated a lot of those issues when it came to prioritizing what should be addressed first, just by the way we present those findings in the report. Do you have a story that you like to tell about pen testing or being a red teamer where you feel like you were up against a wall? You're dealing with an organization that's really, really tight. They're doing all the right stuff. They have great cyber hygiene. They're updating their patches. So the normal things that pen testers and red teamers lean on just aren't available, but you had to do something creative. You had to switch. You had to almost present that twist in the story in order to get that access. Do you have a story around something like that? There is one story that I have in particular. I guess it wasn't necessarily all the way through because of the pen. I didn't get all the way through because of the pen test. So we were doing a, a pretty big assessment for a pretty large company. And my part of it was just the network penetration test. And the other part of it for the other team was really, it was a POS assessment. And so they were doing source core review, stuff like that. The CISO at the time was like very cocky, just no one can touch us. We've got all these fancy things in place. Brought me to his office, showed me this big whiteboard of all the architects here. And just was like, yeah, this is why no one can do anything. And we're using the latest and greatest, just super cocky. And from the network pen test side, I wasn't able to really discover anything because everything was pretty locked down. But someone on the other team was able to find like an exploit for one of the POS devices. And that basically opened up the floodgates to everything else. But that's probably the one thing that comes to mind, the one scenario that comes to mind. It was a pretty exciting feeling to get that far after dealing with that person. <laughs> It sounds like you still get the rush. You still have the excitement about staying oh, yeah. technical what and whatnot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Many years ago, I've always thought to myself, you know what? I see a lot of people who have been in this industry for a long time. They've evolved. They all know it's more about the business and stuff like that. And I get it. But for some reason, man, like I still, if I can't accomplish something, getting an exploit to run or work properly or developing something, I can't sleep at night. I don't know what it is. I don't know when that age is going to be for me, but I love being creative to come up with that solution. I can't sleep until I find that solution. So that's still in me. <laughs> Are there places that you pull that creativity from outside of cybersecurity? So for instance, for me, when I think about Hacker Valley and what we do here, even though we're talking about technical topics, we're talking about personal growth and development, the things that I tend to pull from are movies and even music. It gives us that vibe. It gives us a certain flavor of the way we do things. Do you pull from other sources for your creativity when it comes to pen testing? I wouldn't say other sources per se. It's mostly just like inefficiency. Frustrates me and frustration for me typically drives, all right, how do I fix this problem? But yeah, so of course, like fast cars, I like to essentially have something that's constantly pushing me to the limit. And I love the automation of it. So cars are basically turning into more and more automated stuff. And like I have a Tesla. So when I see the evolve, how self-driving feature is constantly evolving and is getting better and better. That too is, I want Vanahai to be like this as well. Right? So a lot of that technology that I see that's advanced in the world as well, it definitely contributes to a lot of what I do today. 
on one hand, you have all of the technical opportunity, innovation, creating new tech, experimenting with new tech. But on the other hand, you have business. You could double down on creating something that is sustainable for yourself, your family, but other people's family. How do you balance those two? Because I'm sure they both take up a lot of time. And sometimes they, I would imagine there are conflict to each other. It's definitely interesting as a technical founder because I constantly go through that challenge of growth and wanting to evolve. But I think the biggest thing for me is really just having a good team. So I've been very, very fortunate with having a team that I have to basically take care of a lot of the business things that don't necessarily excite me. I think that's really what it's all about, right? Just having the right people in place to help me out. And that way I can focus more on the things that I love to do. When we look at the big picture, that provides more value to everybody that uses our services. But yeah, I think the biggest thing there is really just the team. That's obviously a huge impact for me personally. Well, thinking about all the people out there that are getting into this game today because pen testing and red teaming back in the day was very different than it is today. What is some of the stuff that you would tell the newer generation coming into this space about the offensive side of cybersecurity? Yeah, I would definitely prioritize coding because for me, it just happened that as a kid, I fell in love with hacking and started coding and visual basics and stuff like that. So I've always had a passion for coding. And as a pen tester getting into the, the field about 10 years ago, that passion for coding has really helped me excel as a penetration tester. And I've seen other pen testers who just can't code. They can only use the tools that, that the industry publishes. And if the tool doesn't work, it could be just because of a semicolon or something like that. They would never get it fixed because they can't code. And so I think someone getting into the industry today, I think coding is going to be extremely valuable because there's going to be many times that tools that you use don't work and you have to have the experience and knowledge to basically fix those problems. And of course, when it comes to automation, you're going to get into a process as a pen tester where you're doing a lot of the same stuff over and over and over. So if you can code and make yourself a better pen tester over time, I think that should definitely be something to focus on in the beginning of the building a career in cybersecurity. Yes, you got to learn at least the logic. It's almost like also eating your veggies. I got to ask, though, there's definitely someone, including myself, that's listening to this podcast that is wondering, how do you stay technical? How do you also start a business? What would be that one key learning that you've learned over the past few years that has really helped you to maintain both technical, but also the business side of the house? I think it's really just efficiency because on the technical side, it's all about how do we incorporate something new into the platform in a way that doesn't take up, take six months. And so we have to create ways in the framework to basically drop in a new exploit if it comes out tomorrow. And so for us, because we've made a, we've built such an efficient process is it allows us more time to basically do the research and contribute back to the platform. So it's a lot of passion around just keeping it simple, keeping it efficiency, keeping it efficient and being able to grow and scale with that mindset. And then the same thing on the business side too, right? It's really just about the efficiency. You look at all of these other leaders. For me, I like to learn from other people's failures. I don't want to take the same growth process as the next person who failed and didn't do well or whatever. It's really for on the business side as well. There's mostly about like efficiency, building a strong team, just growing from there. Exactly. We have to stand on the shoulders of giants because why do we want to make all the same mistakes that everyone else has already made? We have to take these learnings and push everything forward. Gotta say thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us and have fun. We're definitely going to put all of your information down into the show notes below wherever anyone is listening to any of this. And with that, we will see everyone next time. 
found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.